Good morning, friends. We begin a new series today, and I want to take you to the issue of last words. Have you ever had the privilege of being with somebody as they share their last words with you? Their last words as they pass on. I had the privilege, and it was, it was challenging in some ways, to hear my late mother share certain things with me in terms of regret that she had. You know, there are some people that say phenomenal things when they pass on, and some people say very silly things. Uh, Jack Daniels said, pass me another drink, please. I kid you not. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix said, money can't buy your life. I want to take us to the last words of Jesus, because the last words encapsulate what he's saying. He's saying, my people hear this. And in Matthew 28, Jesus speaks to us, and, and he tells us that all authority has been given to him, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. And, and this sermon series is overarched by Matthew 28. Before I go into the Word, we're going to play a video which really speaks of some of what we have done as a people. A number of years we said, we're going to plant a church in Nairobi. We're going to trust for East, East Africa. And uh, we send people. Some are still there. Remember Letty and Lennon. And uh, I think of Sipokazi going. And many of you went on mission trips. So, so watch this and uh, let God speak into your heart. And then we're going to look the next three weeks about, about us reaching out and touching people and making disciples. Thank you so much. My name is Jeff from uh, Every Nation Nairobi. My name is Michael Kirosi. I'm Mary Wamoro. To summarize in one word, I was lost, totally lost in, in the world. I was uh, living a life of uh, slavery to the, to the earthly things. I was wounded. I didn't know Christ. I used to know that being a Christian is very hard and uh, a lot of wounds. The moment I, God found me or God chose me, that's when my life transformed from being lost to being found. I'm full of joy today because my life has completely changed. Uh, after my brother introduced me to this church, I, I came to see things differently. Thank God because um, all my addictions, all my, my life that uh, used to stress me up, to, to enslave me, I had to leave it behind. I went to discovery group, one-to-one, I knew Christ, I knew my identity in Christ. And when I was being discipled, the thing that really stood out was that the, the guys who were discipling me, they were just so intentional for me. I knew how to make decisions in a godly way, how to 
to do things in a godly way and see other people as ch children of God. And uh, with that, I, I became different. I became mature in Christ. Thank God today, my friends whom I used to live with, I'm so happy that uh, they also came to look, upon, look up to my life and uh, saw how Christ was uh, busy working uh, in, inside my life and uh, they also came to, to know that uh, uh, we have to live this life for Christ, not for ourselves. I feel like if someone can meet my need like that, if someone can just come uh, spend his time with me so that I may know Christ more and what else shall I do to another person? I have to tell you that every nation has searched me by telling me about God. No one had told me before. They planted in me a great faith. Uh, I, I can remember a day that God really touched me was at any seminary that we had. And we, we, we took a minute to, to pray, asking for for presence of God. And that moment, I felt God working in my heart. That moment, I felt God make, make me, make, making me realize that I was a sinner. That day, I, start, I started crying because I was feeling a big blame in myself. I realized that I was a sinner. I was living a bad life. I was, I, I was living by my own self and not through His grace, God. I was not living for His glory. And since that day, I, I feel God guiding me, God making me change. That day, my faith in God grew, grown. That day, I felt that I'm not alone anymore. I'm with God. And it's Him that keeping me going, following Jesus. And I hope that He's continue, continuing making me making transformations in me. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. The question that is asked in Isaiah chapter 6 is, who sits on the throne, who dies on the altar, and who will go? I'm going to read to you Isaiah chapter 6, and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the whole house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of him, the voice of the Lord saying, 
Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am. Here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people. Such a powerful, beautiful passage of Scripture. And I want to describe the context to you. It says this happened in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah died. He had come into power when he was 16. Judah was in a complete mess. His father had started a war that he had lost against Israel, the northern kingdom. They had come and they would conquered Jerusalem. They would pulled down the walls. They would taken the gold. They would taken the best people as slaves. And Uzziah came in as king at 16. And he reigned for 52 years. Can you imagine that? I mean, how many of you are younger than 52? Just lift up your hand. So you would be like, we've been under this king since even before I can remember. So there's an existential crisis because Uzziah has brought Judah back to prosperity, back to dignity, and there's prosperity in the land. And I'll just read you some verses um, just talking about what he did. In 2 Chronicles 26, it says, he sought the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper, and he became exceedingly strong, and he was marvelously helped till he became strong. And so this is an existential crisis for Judah. It's like, we were in a real mess. Then we had a good guy on the throne, and he looked after us, and now he's gone. What is going to happen to our nation? And it's in that context that Isaiah has a revelation, that he has a vision. In that year, in the year that King Uzziah died, he says he sees the Lord. My question to you is, who do you see? What do you see? And, what, and do you see right? The Word of God says, without vision, my people perish. How you see yourself is really important. How you see God is even more important. And do you have a revelation of God? If you have a revelation of God, you will live right. You will be changed. You will be transformed. What does he perceive? He perceives three things. He perceives the holiness of God. He perceives the glory of God. And, and he perceives this, this God who is high and lifted up and in authority. Now, what does this word holy mean? We understand it, it means separated and, and not sinful. The, the tres hagios, holy, holy, holy. You know, once should be enough. To say holy twice is emphatic. To say holy three times is superlative. Nowhere in Scripture do we hear it being said that God is loving, loving, loving. Or mighty, mighty, mighty. Or wise, wise, wise. But it does say He is holy. Holy, holy. Revelations chapter 4, the same thing, the same revelation, except this time by John, and he sees the angels again with their six wings saying, Holy, holy, holy. What does it mean that he is holy? Infinitely, uniquely superlative. Brilliant, perfect, beautiful. And the seraphim are just looking at him and beholding him, going, He's even more. He is just amazing, holy, beautiful, wonderful, holy, holy, holy. They're constantly adoring him. They're delighting in his holiness. 
Have you ever gone for a job interview and you're sitting in the room, interview room, and you look at the person opposite you and you go like, I'm toast. <laughs> Have you ever submitted a tender and then you see the competition who's tendering and you're going, woe is me. <laughs> Have you ever stood next to somebody and, you know, you and him are going for that girl and you're going, he's just too smooth and he's too good looking. <laughs> How much more is God superlative? And that's the first thing. We need a revelation of the glory and the beauty and the wonder of God. And the second thing he, he recognizes is the glory of God. And you know what that word means? It means weightiness. The word literally means weight. It means the permanent versus the ephemeral or the illusory. It means the substantial versus the unimportant. It means the real as opposed to the unreal. Now, I tried this in the previous service. And I'm so glad Nicola's not here because she said I mustn't do it. <laughs> but I have a bucket here of water. Are you ready, Pastor David? <laughs> we are just a bucket of water. And we just move around and we get taken by the tides. But when God's glory comes, his weight, please don't tell Nicola I did this, okay? <laughs> you know what happens? His glory impacts us, and the furniture is rearranged. Have, have you had a God encounter with his glory? Because if you have, you come away completely changed. Whether it's something heavier than ice coming down and it's an ice quake, or this coming down. <laughs> Nobody video that. God's glory should impact us. And if you haven't had that God encounter, you need one. You need a God encounter where you are forever changed. You know, simple question for you. Do you have a high view of God or do you have a low view of God? Do you just fit God into your life as it suits you? God is weighty. Has he disrupted your world? Are you like Isaiah? I'm undone. He was undone. He was forever changed. I pray that you've got a high view of God. Who sits on the throne? Do you sit on the throne of your life? Or is it small God, small G? You know, where you choose, you negotiate. You know, it's like a father with a son, you know. Who's in charge of son? You or me? Uh, both of us, you know. <laughs> Not both of us. Who sits on the throne? It's got to be God. He is holy, holy, holy. He is glorious, and he sits on high. And this leaves us undone. And we start to recognize our fallenness, and we, we recognize our brokenness, and we recognize our sin in the face of a holy, glorious, perfect God. And the question is asked, who dies on the altar? Some people say, there's no need. But 
don't you want justice? Have you ever like, asked for an insurance patent and you haven't got it and you want justice? Have you ever been treated badly by somebody and you want justice? The very fabric of the universe demands justice. We want justice. This is why 702 and talk stations proliferate, because we all want justice and we all want to express our need for that we get what is fair. You think about some of the political discussions in the nation. It's an issue of justice that we're facing. We want justice. So who pays the price for our sins? Adam and Eve tried to redefine what was right and wrong. They wanted the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to define it. So some people say there is no sin. But you know what? You just have to look at the world and you see the brokenness. You see the terrible things that are happening. There is desperate need for an altar. There's desperate need for sins to be atoned for and forgiveness to come and cleansing and renewal. Some people, and this is where religion is, some people say, you know, I have to work. I'm actually on the altar. I have to be so good and then I can pray. You know, I have to be good before I can come to church or I have to tithe before I can come to church. Our good works, Isaiah 64 says, are like filthy rags before the Lord. Now, we should live lives of good works for sure, but not for the sake of God's love and affirmation. We can never get his affirmation by our good works, but we do it. We do good works because we love him. Who dies on the altar? It's only one who can pay the price. It's only one who is worthy, and that is the Lamb of God. And, and this is the gospel. That Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. Three days later, he rose, showing to the whole world that he is the Son of God and offering eternal life to us. So who dies on the altar? Some say no one needs to, and they just remain their sin. Some say, I will work harder, harder, harder. There's nothing you can do to make yourself righteous. Push yourself to the mercy of God. Fall at his feet because only the Lamb of God can take your sins away. What is incredible in the story is the seraph comes from the altar, touches his lips and says, your sins are atoned for and now you are clean. And almost immediately, there's the question. And the question is, who will go for us? You don't have to wait you go to Bible school. You don't have to be in this church for three years. You could have been in this church for three minutes. Give your heart to Jesus and you can start to speak to people about the Lord. That's the way it is. Because it's not about you working things out. It's not, not about you. It's about what Jesus does in your life. So he's cleansed. He's forgiven. And the question is asked, who will go? And we know what he says. But, but to that question, who will go? Some people say no one. Again, they say there is no need. There is no need for anyone to go. And they ignore the fact that there is a world that is broken and in sin. Some say everyone else will go. Pastor Simon will go. The person sitting next to me, they will go. They will share the gospel. Now, there's this thing called the bystander effect sociological phenomena where we all stand back because we think the other person will do it. In October 2011, a two-year-old girl, Wang Yu, 
in the city in China of Foshan was hit by a small white van. Fell over, hit, bleeding. People walked past her. People walked around her. People went over the street, walking right past her. Till eventually, a large truck came by and hit her again. Person after person after person ignored her. Some going so far as to walk around the blood. Eventually, she was picked up, taken to the hospital, and she died eight days later. Simply because everybody was thinking, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will, will reach out. Somebody else will show love. You know, there's no plan B. God is not going to use the angels. He has chosen. No, he's given us the privilege, the benefit, the joy of partnering with him, of sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so the response to the question of who will go should be, Lord, you have touched my heart. I've beheld your glory. Your weight has struck me. I'm forever changed. When I think of your holiness and I think that you are on the throne, big God, not small God, my response can only be, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord, send me. You know, in Philemon, verse 6, there's only one chapter. Paul writes, he says, I pray that you'd be active in sharing your faith so that you would have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. What's the inversion of that? The inversion is, if you're not active in sharing your faith, there'll be a lack in your life. There won't be a fullness. There will be a deficit. There won't be a full revelation. Something comes when you share the good news of Jesus Christ. Something comes when you talk about how good he is. And you might have been a Christian for a week. You might have a reason. You might have an excuse, but it's no excuse at all. You know, yesterday we had Victory Weekend, and uh, I checked with Caroline. Um, Caroline Webb, she's here in the front now, she had a cancer operation on Monday to remove, to remove some cancerous growths. And uh, on Saturday, she was teaching at Victory Weekend. I mean, she's just saying, Lord, here I am, and I've got plasters on my face. <laughs> here I am, use me. Can we stop making silly excuses for why God won't use us or why we're not quite ready or all of our excuses? You know, I... I've been running with a bunch of guys for a long time now, and, um, and I've loved it. And we called the Emerentia Elite. <laughs> Some are more elite than others. <laughs> and I really enjoy running with these guys. But I just felt from the Lord, I need to start running, not just with my brothers in Christ, but I actually need to get out there and, and run with those who don't know Jesus. So I don't run with them hardly anymore. Um, I ran with a group called the Tyrone Harriers, and I've been struggling with my knee, and I've just said, Lord, heal it, and, and God's been healing it. And uh, so I ran on Thursday, after run, a whole lot of people sat down, had coffee, and uh, one lady said to me, so what, what do you do? So I said to her, well, I was in business, but now I'm a pastor, and she said, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Amen. <laughs> And then, and then I said, just, 
I spoke about you people. I said, if you come in, and she's like, what? What church? I mean, she's like completely unchurched, you know? So I spoke about this amazing community, and, and she said, my God, you know? <laughs> it's like blasphemy, and swear words are coming out of her lips, but she's just like, it's like there are people out there that don't know anything. They don't know their left hand from their right hand. I got a message that afternoon from her. This is what she said. Roger, if you have time for lunch, let me know. I have 1.7 million conversation topics to discuss with you. I told the apostolic team that I was meeting with on Thursday afternoon. I should say to her, yo, I have one answer for you. Jesus! <laughs> so I'm going to meet with her. I think I'm going to take somebody with me because she's a woman, I'm a man, and you know what I mean? Amen. <laughs> But can we adjust our life a little bit? Can we put ourselves in a place of, of vulnerability? Now, sometimes I run, I'm like, what am I doing? Some, it's, not every, it's not every time I run that I have these breakthrough moments. But I keep putting myself there. And sometimes when I say it, it's like I feel like I've come across badly. You know, like you said, and it's like, you feel like your words do like a dive. You know, it's like they didn't get me. They misunderstood me. And I spoke it badly. We all have those moments. But I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep saying, here I am, Lord. Amen. Tim Keller, he said a bunch of things, and I've, I've adapted it. So about half of this, you can see him t talk about. But I want to give you some, some help with doing the just one. And if you're going to take a photograph of anything, take a photograph of this. This is the one. Things to consider every single day. And if you're sitting at the back, you can turn around. There's a slide right behind you. This is too far away. Firstly, ask God for opportunities. I ask God every day for opportunities. Every day. Every single day, I'm trusting, I'm asking for opportunities to, to speak of Jesus. I'm constantly saying, here I am, Lord. And you know what? I start conversations with people. That means if I go to Checkers, if I know I can do it in four minutes, I'm actually planning to be a checkers for eight minutes because I'm going to have a conversation with somebody. I don't make my life so busy that I don't have time to talk to anybody. I've got no, got no moments left in my day to be arrested by God to do something. Let people around you know that you're a Christian. How was your weekend? You say, ah, oh, it was a crazy weekend. I went to church and you know what the pastor did? He dropped a brick in the bucket and, you know, got wet and, you know. Find ways of slipping in. Tell people what God means to your life. I went to Connect Group last night and we prayed. And it was beautiful. Let people know that you're a Christian. Tell people that you're a Christian. Ask your friends and those colleagues around you. Ask them about their lives. Ask them about their faith. Ask them what they believe. And just listen. Because the postmodern world, they'll eventually say, now tell me about yours. And listen to their problems. Be a genuinely interested person in them. Listen to their problems. And then ask them if you can pray for them. My dad is not yet saved. I mean, we take his hand at Mike's kitchen and we pray over the food. You know, and, and, and he kind of like just endures that. But he endures it. <laughs> ask people if you can pray for them. I've prayed for people who don't believe and they've felt the presence of God. Pray for people. And share your problems. Be vulnerable. Be authentic. Tell them about what you're going through. 
and tell them how God has sustained you and strengthened you. Tell them about how your marriage was in a mess, but God came through. Tell them about how he's come through and helped you. Help people in their place of need. Help them practically. Maybe set aside some finances beyond your tithe to, to give to people and to help them. Share your story of, of the mess of your life before Jesus. I hope you've got that story of, of his weight, his glory coming into your life and rearranging the furniture. I hope you've got a story. If you don't, then make today the day that you lie in. Give somebody a Christian book. You talk about, if you're talking about a particular topic, find a Christian book that speaks on it. Answer their questions. When they've got questions, then research up. And we've got great courses and grow courses and making disciples. If you don't know how to do it, then equip yourself. Be ready, the Bible says. Be prepared to give an answer for why you believe. Invite them to connect. Invite them to church. You know, the majority of people will come if you just invite them. They might not come the first time, but they will come. Obviously, it helps if you're in a connect group yourself, you know, to, to be able to invite them to your connect group, you know. <laughs> Sometimes they might be far from church, but you can offer to do a one-to-one with them. You can offer to sit down with them and read the Bible and explain it to them. We are called to make disciples. This is what the sermon series is about, is we are called to make disciples. It's in our hands. It's our privilege. It's our joy to do this. As I conclude, simple question. Who sits on the throne of your life? Secondly, are you standing, are you resting in his righteousness? Or are you living with a sense of constant condemnation because you've never confessed your sin? You've never repented? Or are you trying to make yourself pleasing to God for his love? You can never do that. While you're still a sinner, he loves you. But what you need to do is receive Jesus and and rest in that. And then the question is, who will go? Who will go? Isaiah, having recognized his sin, having been cleansed, his response was, here I am. Send me. Can we pray together? And first I want to give an opportunity to those of you who are not right with God. You live with that sense of your sins not being forgiven. You haven't resolved who's on the throne, you, you constantly get on and get off the throne or, or you're constantly on the throne of your life and as you've heard the word today, you know deep in your heart that there is only one way and that's, that's through Jesus. You can't clean yourself, you can't even stop doing what you're doing but what you can say is yes to Jesus. What you can say is Lord, you are right and I'm wrong and I repent and I confess and I come to you. And if you want to do that today, God's mercy will be towards you. The Father sent his son Jesus to die for you, for your sins. If you were the only one, he would have done it. And it doesn't matter how many times you've done this, but if you need to do this, or if you've never done it, you need to, then do it today. God's grace and mercy is here. So if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to just say, that's me by lifting up your hand. This is for you. This is for God. Just lift up your hands. Lift it up high and say, here I am, Lord. I repent. Forgive me. I see two or three hands. That's you. Just lift up your hand. Be decisive. Make that decision to receive God's mercy. Church, can we all stand to our feet? This is just logistical.
If you've lifted up your hand, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to give a speech. doesn't mean you're joining this church. But if you've lifted up your hand, just come to the front. And church, can we just celebrate as they come forward, please? God, God, gives, God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. But he resists the proud. And you coming forward is humility. You're saying like all of us, all of us, Lord, we sinners. And we look to you for your grace. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Why don't you pray it aloud? And church, why don't you pray it with us to support them? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus I, repent. I repent. I turn from sin. And I choose to follow you. Come into my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I receive you as my Savior. I declare you my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we pray never the same. We pray the power of sin would be broken, Lord God. From today, Lord God, no longer backwards and forwards, Lord God, but from today, walking as disciples, in community, Lord God, in the Word, in the Spirit, Lord God. Bless these men and women, Lord God. Lord, receive them and touch them and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We want to help you. We want to give you some literature. Can we do that? Just some people want to pray for you quickly. And you'll be back with your family and friends shortly. Is that okay? Just a couple of minutes. Thank you. Okay, so. I, I, know, I know that many of you are out there evangelizing. I know of you. some of you have kind of like lost a bit of momentum. Those of you who are, lift up your hands. Those of you who need more momentum, lift up your hands. As we just ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us. Could we, could we be lifting up our hands by saying, here I am, Lord God. Father, as we lift up our hands, Father God, we say, Holy Spirit, come upon us. Lord, we choose to make ourselves available. We choose in response to your mercy, your grace, your goodness. We choose to say, here I am, Lord. Use me, Lord God. Use me to share the gospel. Use me to, to bring your light and your love to the people out there who don't know you. Lord, as we lift up our hands, we say, fill us afresh, Lord God. Anoint us, Lord God. Use us for your glory. Use us for your purposes. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Thank you.